are listening to Inside Schizophrenia, hosted by Rachel Starr Withers, an advocate who lives openly with schizophrenia. We're talking to experts about all aspects of life with this condition. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Inside Schizophrenia, a Healthline Media podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Starr Withers, here with my amazing co-host, Gabe Howard. And this episode of Inside Schizophrenia is sponsored by Intracellular Therapies. Now, when you talk about getting treatment for schizophrenia, Gabe, what's the number one thing people think of? Medication. Yeah. It's medica- it's, it's medication and it, inpatient hospitalization. Th- those are the two treatments that people think about when they think about treatment for schizophrenia. And I, I think we could probably just stop right there. I don't think anybody is aware that there are any others. Correct. It's shocking how many times lay people have asked me, oh, are you on antipsychotics? What antipsychotics are you on? So of like all the different drugs, people know antipsychotics are for schizophrenia. They're for like crazy people. And that's why it's so important to consider other treatment methods. And today that's what we're talking about, cognitive therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy and how it can be used in the treatment of schizophrenia. And our guest today all the way from Sweden, is Cornelia Larson, who is a licensed psychologist and psychotherapist, and she also teaches how to administer cognitive therapy. All right, Rachel, before we get too far into the weeds, what exactly is cognitive behavioral therapy? Cognitive behavioral therapy, or cognitive therapy, is evidence-based talk therapy that attempts cognitive and behavioral changes in a patient. And the great thing about it is you have a psychologist and a patient work together in a collaborative fashion to develop an understanding for whatever the problem is and then figure out a treatment strategy. And one of the big things with CBT is that you have emphasis on the patient kind of becoming their own therapist. Now, you're not taking the place of the therapist, but you're taking an active role in your recovery, in your management of schizophrenia you and your psychiatrist or psychologist come up with exercises and homework that then you put into your real life to managing your schizophrenia through different things. This has been widely used across all different types of mental disorders and not just mental disorders, but like problems, everyday problems that people have, whether marital, drug abuse, alcohol problems, even just things like anger or grief, or your children leaving home, or job loss. It really has a very broad appeal, and it's useful to people in all walks of life with all types of mental health issues. And I like what you said about this partnership between patient and provider. That's of vital importance because obviously, Rachel, we don't live our lives in a therapist's office. We don't live our lives in a doctor's office. We have to be able to take ownership of this to utilize this on a Uh, You know, on a Thursday night when we're sitting at home and these issues crop up. Now, what other ways does it differ? Because as I understand it, it really focuses on the here and now, not the then and why. Yes, I think many of us have like watched movies and TV shows, you know, iconic shows like Frasier. And that type of therapy that we see is usually the person sitting down in the office and they're talking about their lives, something that happened in childhood, some type of traumatic event. And the therapist is helping kind of talk them through it. That is a type of therapy, but it's not cognitive behavioral. Cognitive behavioral is focusing on what's currently happening and what can we do in the moment when those things arise in your day-to-day life. 
So a lot of it is learning to recognize distortions in your thinking that could be creating problems or just sometimes problems actually happen. There's nothing to do with your creating, but how do you then react to them to better understand like your behavior and the behavior of other people around you and their motivations? And then pretty much using problem solving skills to cope with these different situations. And I mean, Gabe, all of that right there, doesn't that just sound like common sense? <laughs> yes, yes, it does sound like common sense. So it's it's not a difficult thing, but you know, if we think about our lives, how many times in our lives have we taken something simple and made it difficult? And then somebody walks along and says, hey, you know, if you do it this way, it'll go twice as fast. And you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that? That's a, a really bad analogy of CBT, but you know, obviously when we're in the middle of something, we have all the feelings of what's going on. We're, we're not third-party observers. We're not unbiased. We're emotional wrecks. We're whatever brought us to therapy in the first place, and we're tasked with trying to figure out how to solve this problem. The therapist is, is like a guide in this. That is what I love about CBT personally. The therapist is a guide. The therapist doesn't tell you what to do. The therapist helps you figure out what to do and then master that coping skill. Gabe, I have a personal question for you. Now, you've been treated for bipolar for many years now, correct? Yep, yep, that's true. How much has cognitive behavioral therapy been a part of your personal treatment plan with bipolar? It's been huge. It, Medication helped control the symptoms, but once the symptoms were controlled, I still had, we're, we're going to go with lesser symptoms, right? I, I still had to manage my way through the world. I'm, I'm still a human and I still did have some symptoms of bipolar disorder and psychosis that I needed to learn how to recognize and how to manage. And CBT therapy was uh, I don't even think vital is a big enough word. It, it helped me recognize symptoms before they became a problem and know how to manage them. It, it was instrumental, instrumental in living well and living in recovery. My second question to that is, did your doctors enroll you in programs? Did they encourage you? Was this part of a recovery program? Like, Who gave you CBT? Who helped you with cognitive behavioral therapy? So I was diagnosed in an inpatient unit, and so that got me on my first medications, it got me a diagnosis, and it got me put into just a variety of programs. So when I was released, I was released into what they called a step-down program or an, an intensive outpatient program. And in that intensive outpatient program, there, there were many things, but one of the things was a one-on-one -on -one appointment with a psychologist who just happened to use CBT. So I, I want to disclose to the audience, I, I did not see this out, I was just fortunate enough to be placed into this program and I saw a tremendous amount of benefit. I, I don't want to say rapidly because that, that's probably a little bit disingenuous, but over months and years, the, the benefits really started stacking up for me. I'm a true believer. It has, it has very much worked for me. That's interesting to me, and we're, we're going to come back to that because your experiences with cognitive behavioral therapy is completely different than mine. And part of me wonders if it has to do with our two diagnoses being different, even though bipolar and schizophrenia are both very serious mental disorders. 
they tend to be thought of as those are two big ones, right? They have a lot of the same similarities. They're not the same thing, but they do. We, we share a lot of the same symptoms. And even I would go as far as saying like quirks, because a lot of times people can just <laughs> be like, oh, that's so funny. I know someone else who like has this weird quirk. They might not even realize that it's a symptom of something. So now let's get to the question, does cognitive behavioral therapy work? Okay, the answer first off is yes. There's numerous studies showing that it leads to significant improvement in functioning and quality of life, just like you said, Gabe. It is one of the main forms of treatment for children and adolescents, especially when they're hesitant to put them on medication so young. So it's like one of the go-to forms of treatment. But the question then is, does it work for schizophrenia? And there's a little bit of controversy there, Gabe, because the answer, it depends on where you are, which blows my mind. Here in a little bit, we have our amazing guest coming on. And the reason I reached out to her, we shared some kind of back and forth conversation online, and she was shocked <laughs> by the lack of CBT therapy that I had had. And I was so impressed and overwhelmed by it. Here she is telling me all this great stuff for people with schizophrenia that I had never heard before. Most of the major research that has been done on cognitive behavioral therapy has actually come out of the United Kingdom, where their research has shown that CBT therapy is effective for the treatment of schizophrenia. The National Health Service there recommends that CBT therapy be delivered to all people with schizophrenia. That's, that's pretty amazing. Like they're saying, if you got this diagnosis, you need to be going through this type of therapy. On contrast, here in the U.S., the American Psychiatric Association guidelines describe CBT therapy as an adjunctive technique that may benefit people who have schizophrenia. So obviously, Rachel, you can't speak for all people all across the world with schizophrenia. But you can speak for yourself, and, and, yeah. and you're generally a pretty well-rounded and reasonable individual. You, you stay away from the extremes. So let's talk about your personal experience with cognitive behavioral therapy. No one, and it's hard for me to say this because like when I, just knowing for me, when I look at the, between the United Kingdom saying, yes, everyone with schizophrenia should have this, and then the U.S. saying, oh, they may benefit. And the fact that in my experience of all the years I've been in treatment since being diagnosed in my early 20s, no psychiatrist doctor program has ever brought up any sort of cognitive behavioral therapy to me, ever. It's never even, so you've never tried it. I have. I seeked it out on my own. What made you, what made you seek out CBT? Because I was desperate. I was trying to find something that worked. I was on medications. I was doing everything. For a while, I had to see a psychiatrist and a psychologist every single week. Two different ones. I would go to one on a Tuesday, one on a Thursday. And um, at no point did they ever bring that up that that was something that I should be looking into. That's why I wanted to know about your personal story because it's completely different than mine. And I have benefited from CBT therapy, but it 100% was because I was trying to figure out what to do about this on my own. You know, and back in my early to mid-20s, it was much harder to find this. A lot of the techniques I had to come up with on my own, which is asking a lot for someone who's in the middle of a psychotic episode. It is a lot to ask of somebody who's experiencing any 
health challenge. We don't even have to say psychosis, just you're in need of care and you also have to find it on your own. It is important to point out that I'm in Ohio and you're in South Carolina and in America, where you live plays a big role in the type of care that is available to you in the same way that what health insurance you have or what payer source you have or if you have supportive parents or if you're in a rural area versus a, a, an urban area, it's tough. Now, once you found a CBT therapy, what was your experience like? Did you have good outcomes? Did you get better? Did you learn coping skills? Was it meh? What was it like for you? To me, it's one of the main things that keeps me quote unquote sane. I'm obviously, I am medicated. I have a counselor that I see every two weeks and different things like that. And that's with her, we just talk about what's going on in my life. We don't actually come up with like techniques or anything, but it's more just like a sounding board. She also helps me notice, are my thoughts becoming delusional about things? Like she's great with that. But CBT is what I have to do every single day. I'm constantly doing it to manage my hallucinations, to manage my thought patterns. What's interesting is that Still, so many doctors don't push CBT because they kind of think people with schizophrenia aren't going to do it. Or they think that our problems are like, it's just way, our problems are way too big to to really handle this. A really great example I found on the internet that I love was if you have a person who comes in to speak to a doctor and that they're having sensations on their skin of like tingling and like pricks and it's due to job stress. They said there's lots of different CBT techniques and stuff they'll talk to you to help you manage your stress. But if an individual comes in and complains to the doctor that they feel there's little microbes and computer chips implanted in their skin at their work, no one's going to sit that person down and be like, well, let's talk about some cognitive behavioral therapy. They immediately assume that, whoa, this person's insane. This is outside of just normal talking. Even though, like, if you look back at it, like, no, what could be causing both of these issues is just stress. However, the person with schizophrenia, they're interpreting it differently. And I think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to CBT for schizophrenia is that you kind of have to tweak some of the exercises. And it is kind of the next level of, I don't want to say problems, but symptoms. So let's talk about cognitive behavioral therapy for schizophrenia techniques. I I know that you have researched a few. There are a few core ones that tend to work for schizophrenia. They're not going to work every single time. (laughs) They may work never for certain people. And of course, it depends on your mental state of being able to actually do these different treatments. One is Socratic questioning. And that's where you kind of start to talk through a delusion or a hallucination. So let's say I'm having a delusion that God has called me to go and do something. So we use rational questioning like, okay, Rachel, why do you think God's called you to do this? Okay, well, well, I I just feel this calling, or let's say I heard a booming voice. Well, what'd the booming voice say? How often do people hear booming? And you kind of like question and help the person think their way through it as, is this rational thought? Now, I can go ahead and tell you that's not going to work during a psychotic episode. (laughs) When I lose my arm in the bed, there's no talking. You can't be like, well, Rachel, can you see your arm? Okay, you obviously didn't lose it if you could see it. It it doesn't work. Um, But I can see that working for like smaller delusions, 
So that, that could be helpful, I think, for like baby things. The next one that's real big is reality testing and behavioral experiments. So let's say, Gabe, that, for instance, I think there's some sort of devices in my walls that are listening to me. So me and the therapist would come up with, how could we test this? How, how could we test to see if there's really bugs in the walls that are like kind of relaying that information to some secret society? And we'd run our own little experiments. Again, I think for like a general delusion, that could work. If I'm in the middle of a psychotic episode, there is no testing anything, <laughs> you know, so I, I can't see these working, these first ones, but I, I can't see them working for a really bad psychotic episode. And I don't know, Gabe, with your bipolar, if you've had any where you've just been like mentally out of your mind, there was no talking to you. Obviously, the sicker you are, the less effective these methods will be. But bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, psychosis, it, it is on a spectrum. And one of the things that, that I found to be helpful is if I, if I have enough consciousness, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm using that word absolutely incorrectly, <laughs> but if, I, if there's enough of me there where I think, hey, what coping skill or method can I employ to find out where I am on that spectrum? There's hope, yes. right? There, there's hope. And being able to grab onto those things quickly and employ them quickly ups the odds of them working. Is it 100%? Absolutely not. Nobody is saying that if you go to CBT, it's going to work 100% of the time and it's going to be perfect. But having tools in your toolbox increase your odds and it, that's what we're trying to do here, right? We're just trying to increase our odds for success. And there's other methods, right? It's just, yes. there, there's not just that one. There's, there's more. My favorite one that I think has helped me and that I think will help other people, and this isn't even just like schizophrenia, but any type of serious mental disorder is what's called normalizing. So let's say I'm having a freak out that I have poison all over my hands, okay? And it's burning me. So I'm freaking out. If you're my doctor, Gabe, instead of you being like, Rachel, you're crazy. There's no poison. You're fine. Stop acting like a nutcase. You're like, oh, wow. You think you have poison on your hands? Well, no wonder you're thrashing like that. Like I would be too if I had poison on my hands. If I thought I was being burned alive, I too would be trying to like take a shower suddenly with my clothes on. Normalizing is you break down what's happening and kind of help the person understand that almost anyone would react that way. Real common one, and I think I've used it on this show before, but to help people understand the way my hallucinations and delusions work, I get really bad headaches. Literally feels like a nail in my head. Um, and whenever I have headaches, my psychosis, honestly, it kind of gets out of control. So I feel like I have a nail in my head and then I go looking for a hammer. If you were to stop me and be like, Rachel, what are you doing out here in the garage? I'm looking for a hammer to get the nails out of my head. You're going to think, oh, man, Rachel has gone crazy. She's over here thinking she has these invisible nails in her head. Like, oh, my gosh, we need to just lock her up. Like, right? Like, you're, I'm over here trying to find hammers. But if you go to my actual thought process, my head hurts so bad it feels like there's a nail. Well, of course, how would you get a nail out? You get a hammer, yeah. Like, that's a rational thought. So there's a rational thought <laughs> to the whole process, but if you're on the outside, you don't see the rational thought. So that's kind of what normalizing is. How did that person get to this reaction? It does make sense, and it gives people something to work with. Yes. You know, like like you said, there, there's, 
there's this knee-jerk reaction to say, okay, you've gone off the deep end or and all kinds of other stigmatizing phrases, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's what it feels like to us. The, the people are just yelling insults at us, not taking us seriously. So now we've lost you as an ally. We don't know what to do. And now we're completely left to our own devices. Cognitive behavioral therapy helps us understand that, okay, here are our options. Again, they're not always going to work, but it's much better than what we're used to, which is people just dismissing us and us having nothing to try. And the way this plays out then in my headache situation is from now on, every time that thought goes through my head, I have to be like, no, Rachel, you don't need a hammer, but you do need to get the nail out. Let's go take some headache medicine. That is how the therapy plays into that situation. It's just something about the word hammer. I've trained myself the minute I start thinking about hammers, go take some ibuprofen. (laughs) Like That's just how I've trained myself. So you won't find me in the garage anymore looking for a hammer or something. I've learned that, okay, whenever I think about hammers, that means I'm having a headache. I need to go take an ibuprofen. And usually I'll be fine within the next day or two. Thank you, Rachel, so much for using your experiences to help us better understand. And remember, everybody, your mileage may vary, but but these are some of the results that you could potentially get and that you could learn. And again, it's so specific to your situation. Rachel is just our guinea pig because she's our host. So don't expect that your situation will be identical to Rachel's situation. The amazing part of cognitive behavioral therapy is how it works on the individual level. Ever since I was a little kid, I've had hallucinations. Uh, I'm one of the exciting few people who's had childhood schizophrenia. I did start getting medicated at around age 22, but none of the medications have ever taken away my visual hallucinations. So I actually came up with what I call my monster technique, Gabe. And I wanted to share it because so many people reach out to me who have similar issues with hallucinations that even though they're on medication, they have these reoccurring hallucinations. They can't seem to shake. This was something I actually kind of developed for myself, and I turned it into a children's comic called The The Adventures of the Fearless Star. It's for free download on Apple Books if you ever want to pull it up, but I'm going to break down the steps for anyone who's out there, okay? So it's four steps. It's very easy. Step one, draw your hallucination. No matter how terrible a drawer you are, that's okay. Whatever you do, if you got to have like little stick figure drawing hallucinations, go for it. If it's just like a blob, awesome. Draw it. Whatever it is that keeps bothering you, okay? What features stand out? For me, I see a lot of like very large, dark, menacing type characters. Um, I don't want to say humans. Sometimes they're humanoid. They're kind of hard to describe, but sometimes they'll have features that are very distorted. So one of them, I'd say he's like maybe nine feet tall. He likes to kind of loom over my bed. When I'm at my computer, he'll want to like loom over me. That's what I'm going to draw. Okay. Step two, name the hallucination. Now, very important. The hallucination cannot name itself. (laughs) Okay. I cannot stress that enough because people will be like, well, the hallucination is demonic. So it's like a demon. I'm like, no, 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 you name it. Okay. You're the one that's seeing it. You get to name it. And it needs to be something that's like normal, unassuming, or even silly. Okay. So let's say I'm going to name my hallucination Jeff. Okay. There's Jeff over there. So I got my hallucination. He's the big character that looms over me. His name's Jeff. Number three. What is something that would scare the hallucination? 
So Jeff is like nine feet tall. I bet he would hate it if he had to have the middle seat on a nine-hour flight. That would, oh man, that would probably wreck Jeff's nerves. He's huge. Like he's going to have such a hard time squished into that seat. His neck's going to be hurting him. He's going to be all like, he has these really long arms and like long fingers. Like he is going to be squished in there. Oh man. And then step four, help the hallucination. So now I'm, you're picturing, I hope you guys are picturing with me my, my Jeff here. Like, I'm starting to feel bad for him. This guy is massive. This is not his fault. He got stuck with that middle seat. Okay, how can I help him? Well, first of all, Jeff, man, you have got to learn to buy your ticket sooner. And you got to get an aisle seat, man. Okay, so that's number one. We got to just have that talk. Okay, I need to like bust out the app, show Jeff how to use, like how do you pick the airline seat? Okay. Now, if you're listening, you're thinking, well, that's kind of funny. It's supposed to be. It's taking the fear out of the hallucination. Do I still see Jeff? Yes. Jeff's been like hanging out while we've been recording, Gabe. He likes to just hang out and do that. He looms over me. Okay. He's very annoying. I've taken it to where he's kind of changed the thought to he's always looming over me because he just thinks I'm so cool and he always wants to know what I'm doing because I can't make him go away. I cannot make Jeff go away. No medication has ever made him go away. He just is always here hanging out with me. So that's what I call my little monster technique. And a young lady through my job once was having problems. She was a schizophrenic like me. She was having a real bad psychotic break and she was being terrorized by this hallucination of this man who he was outside every window she looked out and he wanted to slit her throat. That was, she was terrified of this man. And I was like, okay, well, well, let's draw him, describe him. She's like, I can't draw. I'm like, I'll just draw it, just draw it. So she draws him and I'm like, what's really scary? She goes, he has the worst teeth. They're rotting. There's like maggots in his mouth. It's horrifying. And I'm like, what do you think would scare him? And she goes like, oh, the dentist. I was like, yeah, that, that would terrify me. If I, if I have teeth rotting out of my mouth, I don't want to go to a dentist. I'm scared to go to the dentist as it is, because I know they're going to fuss at me about flossing. And she goes, oh my gosh, she would be terrified of the dentist. She drew the most hilarious little picture of this guy at the dentist, and his little eyes are like so big, and she let me have the drawing. And she never had a problem after that, she told me. She's like, every time she saw him outside her window, she would start talking to him about dental hygiene. <laughs> and it was just so funny because she was just, it stopped being scary. This guy who's out there in her mind threatening to slit her throat, she'd be like, okay, but we got to talk about brushing first because this is the, the bigger problem you have, sir. So this is a cute little thing to do. But yeah, these are ways to deal with hallucinations, especially ones that I've been medicated. The young woman I was um, talking about, she was medicated during all this, but she was still having these reoccurring hallucinations. And to tie this all back, Rachel, this is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's a technique that you came up with using CBT skills. Absolutely. It's what I did as a kid to pretty much be able to function. And I honestly assumed everyone was doing. I, I thought everyone when I was a kid hallucinated. I didn't know I was. <laughs> um, I, I thought everybody had monsters. This is a common theme, right? Yeah. <laughs> the point is that CBT, it has so many uses. And unfortunately for a lot of us with schizophrenia, it is underutilized. We'll be right back after we hear from our sponsor. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me, Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back talking about how cognitive behavioral therapy can be used in the treatment of schizophrenia. Rachel, as you've been alluding to this whole show, you got to interview a very, very cool doctor based in Sweden. Yes, let's play that interview. We are excited to be talking with Cornelia Larson, who is a licensed psychotherapist and psychologist. And thank you so much for being with us, Cornelia. Thank you for having me. Now, tell us a little bit about what what exactly when I say a licensed psychologist, psychotherapist, what is that? Well, that's somebody who talks to patients all day and um, usually through some type of therapy and uh, tries to help patients manage their symptoms in a better way so they're more free to do what they want in their lives. You specialize in cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, correct? Yes. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a very close collaboration between the patient or the person seeking therapy and the therapist. So the therapist is a specialist in how people function in general, in cognitive behavior therapy, and the person seeking therapy is the expert in her or his symptoms or what has worked so far in their history, how they've lived their life, so to speak. And we work a lot through homeworks and exercises because in therapy, no one's going to fix you. For example, if you go to the doctor with a tumor, they take it out and you're fine. But in therapy, you're working together towards the goal that the patient wants to achieve. What are some basic, easy to understand cognitive therapy techniques that could be used for general schizophrenia symptoms, whether we're talking hallucinations, delusions, a lack of motivation is obviously huge for people with schizophrenia. I want to always encourage my patients to be experimental. (laughs) Try something that you haven't tried before and see how that works in this given situation. I also believe in very general cognitive behavior therapy techniques where you're kind of compassionate to yourself and encouraging yourself. So for example, you will track your symptoms and if you're doing good one day, you will see that you will encourage yourself. I did great today and not just scold yourself for every time where you don't do well and track this. You know, if you have maybe bad self-confidence, that will not help you in many situations. And then you can work with that. For example, you can start observing everything that you like about yourself or everything that you do good about yourself and interview your friends or your family. What what do they like about you? And then kind of remind you of that in difficult situations, because then 
If you do this, usually you, you will be a bit more stable and then it will be easier to handle whatever symptoms you have. If you have problems with very strong emotions, there are lots of techniques that you can handle those. For example, you can count all white things in the room because when you have very strong emotions, you usually have strong emotions because you get caught in a train of thought okay. about your, how useless you are, for example. Kind of like putting on a blue glasses. You see everything in this blue light. And then you need to get out of this train of thought. And you can do that, for example, by counting white things in the room, describe the room in detail for yourself or someone, you know, or do exercise, whatever that helps you focus away from this train of thought that says that you're worthless or useless so that you get out of this very intense feeling. I like that a lot. I've never heard that before, to count all the white things in the room. I get caught in those cycles of bad thoughts. And that's a really, like, that's just a very simple thing that you just shared right there to break that. Yeah, I'm definitely going to try that this week. <laughs> just yeah. Like okay, good. Because then it sounds like, yeah, it's, it's strong feelings that is the, the main thing. And that is so common that the strong feelings is a huge problem and you need to get some way to handle them. Some people actually need physical pain to focus away because they need something really intense. And then you can do like, I don't know, 200 squats or something. So they really get your uh, the pain in your muscles so that you can focus away from your whatever you're, you're thinking about. 200 squats, I, I would be in pain the next day. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I kind of like the idea of um, the squats because another issue, unfortunately, with people with schizophrenia is that a lot of medications, their side effects cause weight gain. So I, yes. I kind of like the, the little mini physical workout kind of throwing that in there because it can have not just good effects like you're talking about breaking train of thought, but also just healthy. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. And as a therapist, that's what you're looking for. You want to find things that are helpful towards, for example, the strong emotion, but also have something else to gain from it. I usually lend this exercise wheel for the abdominal muscles to my patients. It's so painful if you do it for five minutes. You can't focus on anything else. I can imagine, yeah. yeah. So you do that first and the squats and then you do something else after that. Then you're probably going to be somewhere else in your train of thought. Yeah. And then you will be able to think more clearly. Okay. So you, you actually have like a little exercise wheel that you give out? Oh, uh, yeah, I did. Okay. Yes. I kind of like it because instead of people thinking I'm just like a crazy person having a meltdown, they'll be like, whoa, she's a fitness freak. She just has to like drop down and say, like, oh, it's time for her to, you know, get her 50 squats in. You go, girl. <laughs> She'd be in the, you know, in line at the bank and just, whoo, whoo. They won't think it's weird. They'll be like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> no, they won't. <laughs> But, but also, I just want to comment on that. Uh, you're, you're not just a crazy person. Everybody will experience those True. very strong emotions. Everybody will do that sooner or later in life and will have to handle them somehow, you know? So if you're kind of more like into more like worrying, first of all, for most people who worry, the worry is not leading anywhere. Okay. You're not solving any problems. You're just going around, around, and around, around, around in your head. Mm -hmm. And if you can recognize that, you can kind of try to say, stop, don't worry now. 
I will have my worry time tonight at, I don't know, whatever time you choose. Let's say 7.30 for argument's sake. Okay. And then at 7.30, you will sit down and you will write down every worry you thought that you have. Or if you have voices, you will listen to the voices at that time and you write it all down. Okay. And then for, I don't know, half an hour, an hour. And then whenever this comes back, you will say, no, 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 I'll do this at 7.30 tomorrow. So you will make time and space for it, and then you will do it. But on the rest of the day, you will say, no, no, I won't go into this train of thoughts now. If you're someone who hears voices, is that good to, I don't know, is it good to listen to them sometimes? Or because so often with schizophrenia, we're told, ignore the voices, ignore the hallucinations, ignore, ignore, ignore. Are there times where, hey, it's good to just like, let me listen to them and write down what they're saying and see if, if there's any legitimacy to this? Well, I believe so. Uh, first of all, I believe that, especially when you're new to hearing voices, it can be so overwhelming. It's I've understood that it can be like being in the middle of a panic attack to have these voices talking to you. And then, you know, just to step back and start observing, what are they saying? Who are they actually? Is, is this one? Is it more of them? Children? Grown-ups? Who are these people? And what are they saying? What it does is it helps you to take a perspective. You're not in the middle of it. You, you start seeing patterns. And first of all, that will be calming. But then you can also see time points when they show up and, and, and so on. And if you also listen to the negative ones and you can see the patterns, then you can try to find ways to manage with them. And I've also found that usually the voices will say, at least to my patients, will say, really horrible things yes. that are really scary Yes. if you take them for the exact word, which people do. However, when I, as a therapist, listen to it, because when I listen to this as a therapist, I listen to what did the voice say and what situation were you? What were you feeling? What had happened just before? I listen to the big picture. And then maybe the voice will say something like really brutal. So, um, Go and kill yourself. That's horrible, right? Having someone say that to you, that is so overwhelming, so so awful. Yes. However, what I will hear is not go and kill yourself. It's stop feeling this because if you're dead, you can't feel it. So if I hear stop feeling this, we can work with the feeling. The voices can actually point out a direction to you need to handle this feeling or don't go out, you might get hurt. It's like handle the feeling that you're scared or take care. This is, I don't know, a rough neighborhood or you can find an intention that can actually be really helpful. <laughs> and if I may say so, I've had people who've been chronically suicidal with this type of voices. And when we work this way of trying to listen to the intentions and changing problems all around things in their life and to handle their, their feelings and so on. It's not the same with the voices anymore. The voices get nicer. Life is more stable. You don't have to have these thoughts about killing yourselves. And the voices don't say that anymore because life is more stable. That's interesting. I don't think anyone's ever um, explained it to me that way with the go kill yourself. I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of the very hostile voices and things that a lot of people with psychosis experience um, 
yeah, we're, we're mainly told, at least I in the past have been told, you know, ignore them, that kind of thing. Whereas I really like the idea of, wait a second, why is it saying this? Stop feeling this way over something. Yeah, that I don't know. That that's that's a different way of thinking about it. I like that. Yes, it's a different way. And also it's, you know, if you think about it, I think every person has who lives on this earth has ever encountered something that has been difficult. The thought would cross their mind, maybe I should kill myself so I don't have to feel this. I mean, it's not unusual to have that thought. And so it's not unusual for the voice to say something like that. It's it's a lot to take in because it's it's kind <laughs> of like a deep thought when you're like, um, okay. Because I'm personally thinking back to different times I've been very suicidal or I've heard things, you know, voices saying things like that. And I'm thinking, you you know, it was usually probably it was tied to something I was going through. And I might not, though, have at the time realized that I was just so busy dealing with the, the horrible things I was hearing or feeling. And that is my experience, too, with the people that I worked with, that life is so painful at the moment. And then the voices start, and that makes life even painful. Uh, but it can change if you if you behave differently towards the voices. And with that, I mean, this was a way, way of, of describing behaving differently, like taking a step back and try to see patterns and see if you can find an intention of what, what the voices are saying. I like it. But so to put this in perspective, let's say that my issue then is hearing kind of very negative, loud voices at times just throughout the day. So if I were going to have different cognitive behavioral techniques to do, one of them was when they start, I could kind of ground myself, think about myself physically, where am I at? What am I doing? I could look around, count all the white things in the room. I could also be like, okay, I hear what you're saying. I will deal with you tonight at 730. (laughs) I, I like that too. It's like, okay, I, I got to finish doing what, you know, I have to finish my work. I have to finish whatever I'm doing. Then I will listen and we'll, we'll figure this out. You're really on me about hurting myself today. And then actually say, listening to the voices, be like, okay, you're telling me to do this. Why? Why, as I'm here trying to order coffee, are you screaming at me that I need to kill myself? What's going on there? Would those be like an example of the different techniques I could use in the situation? Yes. Uh, But, you know, over time, you will find these things. And usually what you do is, well, from my perspective, usually what you do is you try to, to manage difficult feelings and you try to challenge beliefs. I love to learn new techniques. Different ones are going to work at different times. Just like there's no perfect medication, there's probably no perfect one technique, but having a few you can kind of grab from and play with. Thank you so much, Cornelia, for joining us here today and sharing with us your knowledge about therapy. Thank you. I hope this was helpful for someone. Rachel, sincerely great job. Very cool guest. And it's awesome that you were able to get a doctor from Sweden Listening, it did seem like you were uncomfortable and that it took a a more serious tone sometimes. Am am I reaching? Am I overreacting? Were you uncomfortable? Yes. So I do feel that interview took a very sharp turn um, because we're talking about 
we're talking about how to break the train of thought. We're talking about counting the white things in the room. And, and I'm agreeing with her. And I'm like, yes, you know, how to ground yourself techniques, all these very basic things. And Gabe, you know me. I try and be very upbeat. I try and be very happy. Even when I was talking about my monster technique, you know, I, I, I made it funny. I made it fun. It threw me when she suddenly started talking, saying about hallucinations, saying, go kill yourself. I wasn't expecting her to say that. And with the seriousness of it. Uh, and it shook me a little bit. It became intense. And that's something I do want to hit on because schizophrenia is an intense disorder. And that is a very real part of it. The reason I think it, it hit me when she said, go kill yourself, is because that's what I've, I've heard well ever since I was a kid. That's the kind of stuff my delusions and hallucinations I've been hearing and feeling my entire life. It shook me because I think whenever we hear talk like that, the kind of knee-jerk reaction goes back to, oh my God, this person needs help. We need to put them in a hospital. We need to get them on medication. And the truth is a lot of us have done those routes and we're still having those hallucinations and delusions. We're still living with those very serious and scary thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself and do things like that. And it'd be great if I found a medication that took all that away. I've yet to ever find that. And in the meantime, I still have to use techniques to get through the day. And I really, I appreciate the fact that Cornelia was able to kind of shed a light on that. That yeah, like yeah, schizophrenia, it is a very serious thing. We are talking about life or death a lot of times when it comes to managing schizophrenia. Rachel, I love your eternal optimism, but you are right. I do think people who spend enough time with you start to forget how scary schizophrenia can be. And while on one hand, that's a good thing because being constantly terrorized by an illness is awful. But yeah, those reminders about how terrifying schizophrenia is they probably hit you like a ton of bricks because you, you do put such a hopeful and positive front on so often. Well, always. And with the loved ones, friends, caretakers out there, it is something I do want to make sure that they fully grasp too, is sometimes it's not just, oh, person in your life with schizophrenia, oh, they're seeing things, they're hearing voices, you know, take into account what it is that they're seeing, what they're living with, what are those voices telling them constantly? What are they having to fight against 24-7 sometimes? Voices that are telling them to do very scary things to themselves. Voices that, you know, a lot of times are very, very mean. <laughs> I think as a whole, we need to look at treating schizophrenia in all different ways. It isn't like having a bacterial infection where I know I can just take some antibiotics and, and we're good to go. If I take antibiotics for two weeks, I'll be healthy again. You know, schizophrenia, yes, medication can help. Therapy can help. Managing techniques can help. It's a lot of different things that are going to go into living long term with schizophrenia and to be able to have like an amazing kick-ass life with it. I think part of that, though, yeah, is learning it techniques that work for you. You know, some of the ones we mentioned here today, I love some that Cornelia mentioned that I'd never thought of before, like counting all the white things in the room. Like that's such a simple thing that I was like, okay, that's going now in my back pocket of techniques for when I start having trouble. Because that's just a simple thing for me to remember, okay, to kind of break my train of thought, to silence everything that's going on around me. 
as people who have schizophrenia, we need those. We need as many little techniques as we can to just kind of collect and try them out in our lives. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't, that's okay. Let's figure out something else that might. Overall, that's just all we can do. And keep doing that. And I want to be upbeat about it, Gabe, because we have to be. Because here's the deal. Schizophrenia is not going away. But we can still find incredible ways to keep pushing through. CBT therapy is just another thing we can add to our toolbox to help us manage schizophrenia. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inside Schizophrenia. Please like, share, subscribe, and rate our podcast. And we'll see you next time here on Inside Schizophrenia. You've been listening to Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast from Psych Central and Healthline Media. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash IS or on your favorite podcast player. Your host, Rachel Starr Withers, can be found online at rachelstarlive.com. Co-host, Gabe Howard, can be found online at gabehoward.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.